today on the Tearsheet Podcast. The history of Anchorage Digital has always been client demand based. We started with custody, we added trading, we added lending, we added staking, we added governance. The sequence made sense because this is what clients were clamoring for. And right now, what we're seeing is that these corporates, these fintechs are building very innovative projects and products. And what they want is a platform that is regulated, that allows them to build what they want on their product lineup. And so we're trying to keep up with, candidly, what is a very diverse set of use cases that I could not have thought about for myself. Some of them actually materially affect the core business of some of the largest fintechs in the world, or at least optimize it in a way that is a lot more profitable to run their operations. Tearsheet's annual marketing conference, Acquire, is coming up online and free this February 22nd. At its finale, we'll be recognizing and celebrating the very best players in marketing, customer acquisition, and growth in financial services. Last year, we awarded some major players like Current, Truist, Shopify, and Ally. Do you think you have what it takes? Then head on over to the Tearsheet website to register today. Applications are open to the Acquire Awards through February 16th. Welcome to the Tearsheet Podcast. I'm Tearsheet Editor-in-Chief, Zach Miller. We're at an inflection point right now when it comes to blockchain technology. There are a handful of technology partners that, instead of bypassing the traditional financial industry, are working together with it. Anchorage is one of those firms. As the sole digital asset firm with a national banking license, it works with FIs to provide crypto custody, trading, staking, governance, and more. At the end of 2021, it raised a $350 million round valuing the firm at $3.5 billion. It's just getting started, as banking slowly opens up to what appears to be the future for the industry, clients, and the world, frankly. Anchorage co-founder and president Diogo Monica joins me on the podcast to review where we are at this moment in time regarding Web3 and its connection to the incumbent financial industry. Diogo shares some milestones that Anchorage and the industry have hit and then looks towards the future for a snapshot of what it may look like for his institution, for banking in general, and for all kinds of customers. Diogo Monica is my guest today on the Tearsheet Podcast. My name is Diogo Monica, and I'm the co-founder and president of Anchorage Digital. And, you know, we're sitting here right on the cusp, um, right after 2021 ended, 2022. We're just fresh off. Um, I want to look back on, on the on the previous year, Diogo, because I think you know for the industry in general it was it was a big year, but for Anchorage um, specifically, it was there were a lot of milestones there. So, I mean, it, it was just a year ago that you got your 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 license, your banking license, right? That's right. Twenty twenty one was amazing for Anchorage. It's uh, unfortunate that the backdrop, the macro backdrop, was not as yeah. amazing, but we did grow quite a bit in terms of headcount, clients, revenue business expansion. And one of the things that you did mention is we were the first and are still the only operational federally chartered bank. That means that the OCC actually gave us a national charter for us to operate as a bank and be able to serve our institutions for staking, custody, et cetera, from a bank, which is obviously amazing for us as a business, but it was also a big leap for the industry because it was the first time that the OCC actually gave one of these charters, which obviously provides the only unambiguous qualified custodian. And we can talk about what a qualified custodian is and why it matters for the space, but that was something that happened in that Anchorage did in 2021. 
Yeah, I would like to go a little bit deeper in that. Now that you have a year uh, of runway, you know, behind you, um, what what has that license done for you? And and maybe in 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 a, in a way, describe it how it differentiates you from some things that you know that the Anchorage is able to do that maybe some other institutions wouldn't. So there is two big aspects. One of them is from a business line perspective, it allows us to go into banking business lines that would have otherwise not been available to us. There's quite a few things that banks can do that just national or that uh, state charter trusts can't do. But I would say that the biggest advantage of having a charter is threefold. Number one, it allows us to see eye to eye with all of the other federal chartered banks. We have the same charter as JPMorgan Chase, as BNY Mellon, as State Street. So when we're interacting and engaging with a bank, and remember, Anchorage is a platform. What we do is we provide the services and the infrastructure that allows any institution to build products in crypto. And what that means is that a lot of the institutions in 2021 that have reached out to us are the banks, are the traditional financial institutions attempting to build products in the space. And so the fact that they have the same charter from their service provider is really big for them and really big for us because we're seeing eye to eye. We're not state chartered. It's not a piecemeal regulatory approach. And the competition is still following the piecemeal approach from a state charter perspective where the banks just don't have as much clarity about the, the law that is actually being applied to these assets. So that's that's one big area that is very distinctive for us. The other one is the fact that the world at large, all of our clients, not just the banks, understand that the OCC has a higher bar for scrutiny of banking businesses. It is the de facto and the oldest banking regulator. So if you are a fund, if you're a family office, if you're a hedge fund and you want to trust a third party, you do your own due diligence, but you also use the fact that Anchorage has you know, SOC 1, SOC 2. Um, all of these things are proxy for trust and the highest level of scrutiny for proxy for trust is the OCC charter. And the final one is one that I mentioned, which is we are the only ones that are unambiguously a qualified custodian. And the reason why that matters is because if you are an RIA, a registered investor advisor, you are mandated by law to use a third-party custodian, a third-party qualified custodian. And so far, the space only had trust charters, which is a little bit of a gray area where the trust charter out of a state actually qualifies, no pun intended, as a qualified custodian. And the only actual charter that is unambiguous is the federal charter. Um, and so the fact that we had it allows... RAAs, which are very large investment organizations, to know that they have this stamp of approval. And at the time of SEC review and audits, they can actually say, hey, yes, we do have our crypto assets with a third-party qualified custodian. Got it. Um, and subsequently, also looks like the OCC is, is not going to be quick to, to issue more of those types of licenses going forward, right? That's right. I think there is, uh, and the change of the administration definitely brought a different viewpoint over crypto assets. We got in just before the change in administration. Mm -hmm. There were two other charters that were conditionally approved, but ours is the only one that is actually in operation. And it does not look like many charters will be approved. And for us, that's actually, we believe, not necessarily a good thing for the space. Yes, we were the first. Yes, it is beneficial for Anchorage in a way to be the only operational one. But the thing that made the most difference for the industry was that there was a clear path forward for institutional providers of 
services for cryptocurrencies to get a legal charter that allowed him to provide this with, um, with without ambiguity, right? It's clarity that people are looking for. And so more charters being handed out would actually be beneficial for the whole space. So we actually think that more people should follow our path if allowed to do so, because I think it's important for the industry to have clarity. And this is a big, big step for, for clarity in the space. Got it. And I, and I definitely agree. Um, let's talk about a couple other milestones during the year. Uh, you had the, the, I guess the the settlement of the USD coin with Visa. Can you talk about that? Yeah, so that's a really interesting one. Visa has been a great partner for Anchorage, and we have quite a few projects together. But the one that you're mentioning, USDC settlement, is interesting insofar that people always looked at crypto assets as well. Number one, people think about crypto, think about Bitcoin, really, which is, you know, we're still right now, especially we're very far off from crypto being Bitcoin. As we all know, there's 15 different product market fits in crypto. Institutions mm-hmm. are interested in some of them. Retail is interested in some others. But, but what matters at the end of the day is that cryptocurrencies for payments was always something that we believed that Bitcoin was not adequate for. And we have had the rise of stable coins, which are effectively cryptocurrencies backed one-to-one to the dollar primarily, but it could also be to the euro or something else. And they have become the fact a way that people in crypto do settlements. And the interesting thing for this is that it is settlements that was the use case. It wasn't really the payments use case. And uh, an interesting thing that Visa came to us with was, well, wouldn't it be great if I could offer these issuers that are offering Visa credentials that are backed by cryptocurrencies. So think of an exchange like crypto.com, you are a consumer, you have your crypto on your crypto.com wallet and crypto.com wishes to give you a Visa credential. So a card that is Visa branded so you can go buy a coffee. It is interesting because everybody always said that crypto was not good for payments, but here we are, you can swipe your card and you can actually use as the the funding mechanism, the crypto that you have on your crypto.com account, which is a brilliant way of using Mm -hmm. the traditional financial industry to our advantage in crypto. It is actually being, crypto is being used on the back end because that's what you have on the wallet, but the payment mechanism is just a traditional Visa credential and Visa has 70 million merchants all throughout the world. And so we don't have to solve that problem before using crypto for payments. Now, the issue that that crypto.com faces is that they need an issuing bank. They need to have cash on a bank account to settle with Visa at the end of the day for all the transactions that actually happened. So crypto.com has a responsibility of turning crypto into dollars and then sending dollars to Visa to settle. And the issue there is, well, some of these exchanges can't really open these accounts. The second one, it is very expensive to do so. You need a partner, you need to just leave cash sitting around for settlement. And so what Visa said was, hey, actually stable coins are a great way to do settlement instant finality. We can do settlement every minute if necessary. And the crypto the, the crypto use case, the, these, these exchanges already know how to get these stable coins. The hard thing for them is actually turning into fiat. So what if for the issues of cryptocurrencies, we allow them to settle directly in the stable coin? At no point do they have to touch fiat. Do they have to turn it into US dollars? And so it's a brilliant way of Visa offering a service to issuers, and that is all built on top of Anchorage. So Anchorage is the settlement layer that receives the USDC and converts it eventually to dollars for Visa. But it allows crypto.com not to have to actually turn crypto into dollars and then having a bank account with dollars sitting around and then at the end of the day sending dollars. Instead, they just have potentially already a stable coin in the form of USDC, and they can send that directly to Visa to settle. Tearsheet's Acquire Conference is coming up online for free this February 22nd. 
We're bringing together decision makers from top financial services and fintech companies to talk shop about successful branding, marketing, product, customer journeys, and acquisition in today's market. Our speaker lineup is exciting. Affirm, MasterCard, Current, Welcome Tech, Betterment, Even Financial, Strawberry Frog, Stash, and more. Head on over to the Tearsheet website to get your free tickets today. Got it. And and what is Anchorage doing? Um, you know, NFTs obviously came on in, in a big way this year. Um, not just from the the speculation around you know collectibles or things like that, but some some interesting use cases, at least from from our perspective at Tearsheet. Uh, what is Anchorage doing in the NFT world? Yeah, so that's an interesting one. That funny enough also involves Visa. They came to us with the request. We want to buy a CryptoPunk. Let's figure this out. And so Anchorage, alongside Visa, had to figure out how to buy a CryptoPunk and the process of procuring one, obviously buying it, and then cussing it all for one of the largest corporates in the world. And so what what is what I think I, what I find fascinating right now is that we have a federal chartered bank, Anchorage Digital Bank, that is custodying digital art. And this had never happened in the past. So what we did was we did the legwork from a compliance perspective, legal perspective, technical perspective, um, to, to, to really do an acquisition of the first um, corporate NFT. So mm-hmm. what we had to do is make sure that we supported the custody for this. We supported all the processes that are needed to acquire it. And so in a way, what happened was Visa forced us into the institutional NFT space. And then after we announced this, every single one of our other clients said, hey, Anchorage, I also have CryptoPunks. I also have these monkeys. I also have these aliens. And so now we have an onslaught of um, clients asking us to store their NFTs. Because if you think about it, NFT security is exactly the same as cryptocurrency security. And just because it is art, digital art, does not mean that the loss is also not 100%. So the same level of security that you have for 100 Bitcoin is the same level of security that you have for a CryptoPunk. And that, that matters deeply because the technology, as we know, is very unique and very distinctive. And since Anchorage had already built the platform, what we had to do is build an extension. So coming in 2022 is actually a full-featured product with more integrations, with more ability of seeing your own uh, NFTs versus just the custody part, because just custody isn't interesting, and we're going deep into these other use cases that institutions are interested in. NFTs are one of them. DeFi is another one. There's quite a few more than, than, than that, but um, th- those two are, are very interesting for deep integrations from our platform directly into these, um, these protocols. And, and what kind of work, Yoga, are you doing um, on the core side? I saw that you, you struck a partnership with fin, FinExact. Um, talk about some of the work there that you're doing. So the interesting thing is that Again, uh, the mission of Anchorage is this platform that enables institutions to build products. And that, obviously, if you're a fund and you have crypto, you can obviously store crypto with us, buy and sell crypto with us, um, you know, do leverage, you can borrow, lend dollars against crypto, all of those traditional things that you think about uh, uh, custodian slash prime broker. But the interesting thing that people don't realize is that there are all these market participants, cores being one of them, that want to come into crypto because they want to offer these services. And Anchorage is actually the perfect place for B2B2B. We can also do B2B2C and we can also do just B2B directly to our clients. But if you're trying to build a product, you are an institution like a FICE serve um, that, that is that is offering this service 
to, to clients, then what you need is the technology, the integrations, the regulatory clarity, the, the, the trust, the operational excellence, the years in market, the support for crypto assets, the support for staking, all of these things that you can't really do on your own, uh, or it's not, at least it's not your focus. And it, it would take you such a long time to actually get to the place where you can build something on your own internally that you'd probably already lost the market. So what's happening is that these cores want to offer this to their clients, their fintechs, their banks, and they're looking for partners like Anchorage that are regulated, that allow them to add access to dozens and dozens of cryptocurrencies and uh, many different types of services, not just buy and sell, not just holding, but really staking and these other yield generating opportunities. So we're in the early stages of this, but we are partnering with cores because the cores want to offer these products and we're just the perfect platform to enable it. And where do, where do you think we are? Um, you mentioned staking in that last answer. Like, where do you think we are in terms of, you know, brand name retail banks uh, offering that to their clients? Yeah, I would say that we are closer from brand name retail banks to offer staking than we are to retail banks to really package these DeFi yield generation mm-hmm. opportunities, which also are incredibly interesting. And the reason for it is that our charter, our bank charter actually has staking as one of the services that we can offer from mm. the federal charter. So it's actually already understood. And uh, the tax implications from vary a little bit from protocol to pl- protocol, but they're also being actively figured out. And finally, it is a very distinctive offering. Very few people, if anyone really is offering this type of service. So it's something that if you are holding on to an asset that is stakeable, you feel bad for being inflated away. And so it becomes a necessity if you support an asset to support sticking alongside it. And we feel it and we do it. And so the, the banks and these other large institutions, when they go away from just thinking about or when they, they take a step from just Bitcoin and Ethereum, and even Ethereum, as we know, is starting to go into proof of stake. And so there's going to be a staking element there too. All these assets are doing staking. So the banks are and these other institutions are, are very thinking about it very deeply. And so I think that's going to be a lot closer than the repackaging of, uh, of DeFi yields for, for consumers. I can't really say w- what the timeline will be for them to be comfortable with it, because as you know, a lot of them are just coming with Ethereum and Bitcoin mm-hmm. and Litecoin and traditional ones. But I do think that the Ethereum unlock will be a big one because it will be a forcing function for these financial institutions to start caring about it. Because I don't want to hold with you my Ethereum if you don't allow me to stake it. and thus. I can't be an institution offering a product that, that that doesn't get any use because people are not willing to use it. And and in 2021, Diogo, um, you also you raised a lot of money. You just had a big round, I guess, at the end of the year. Can you talk about, um, I guess, participation in that latter round? And 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 I'd love to hear some insight on the use of proceeds. You know what, what you're doing with that money going forward. Yeah, that's well. It's an interesting question. the The Series D was what we announced. We raised uh, three hundred and fifty million dollars at over three billion dollar valuation. And the interesting thing here is that, well, number one, we hadn't spent really any of the money of our Series C, so the the business was doing really well and we're growing really fast. I remember speaking to Nathan in November. He said the same thing. I'm like that's, that's awesome. Right. Yeah, that's right. And so the interesting thing here is that I, I can talk about it a little about the user proceeds and why it makes sense for you to capitalize. But the interesting, the unique thing about this particular round that nobody else has is the brands that we really brought on board. KKR was the lead of our Series D. This is a very well-regarded brand in the traditional financial world. And this was their first foray into crypto investing. 
we were the first equity investment that they they did in the, the crypto space in the blockchain space. So that's fantastic. But alongside KKR, we had other folks that are of similar dimensions, like Apollo. We've had we had banks like Goldman Sachs. We had very large fintechs like um, PayPal participating. We had BlackRock coming in. There's obviously all of the current investors also participated. The Sovereign Wealth Fund of Singapore, GIC, Andreessen Horowitz. Uh, we had Blockchain Cap, which collected our, our Series B. So every single one of our investors really came in in a meaningful manner, and we added institutional grade investors. And the reason for the round is also the reason for why we're bringing this amazing lineup of investors is because Anchorage really is in 2021 and focusing on 2022 and beyond on very large financial institutions. We are here to support very large financial institutions. So it makes a lot of sense that these institutions recognize that they need players like us and thus also see the investment opportunity. And by having Goldman on the cap table by having Apollo, by having KKR, it obviously makes it a lot easier for us to get into these New York relationships and networks in a way that is even better than what we were able to do before. The other thing that is also important is internationalization for Anchorage. Even though we are a very international company already from an employee perspective, office perspective, and client distribution, the majority of our clients, I would say 80% of them are still in the United States. So there's going to be a big effort this year and has already started and is ongoing to internationalize, focusing in, on Asia, starting um, up in Singapore, and so based in Singapore to, to serve APAC and also uh, other countries and other regions such as um, EMEA and um, South America, where there's going to be a little bit more of a concerted effort there too. So that's part of the use of proceeds and the reason why these investors matter so deeply. And then finally, what I would say is that it is very convenient for a bank that is, we have a bank to be extremely, extremely well capitalized because your balance sheet matters in a business where you're doing business with other banks. And just going into recognized and being marked to market as a multi-billion dollar company, in this case, a Tricorn, which by the way, I learned it's some kind of French hat. Uh, I did not know about that before. Uh, so fun fact. And the, the Tricorn valuation, a balance sheet of you know over $500 million, all of these things just give you confidence that this is a company that is very long lasting, that is here to stay. And it, that is something that it is, is always accrual to our business. If increases the probability of us closing a very large client by 20% because it just eliminates that concern, then it's worth for us to be at the level of capitalization and to be at the level of valuation. Of course, it helps for uh, mergers and acquisitions and uh, aqua hires. So that's also something for which you always do a markup of your own uh, of your own price. So there's many, many reasons on the brand perspective, on the marketing acquisition perspective, on the internationalization perspective, and obviously on the acquisition perspective for which it makes sense for us to capitalize ourselves. In the remaining time that we have, I'm, I'm curious also looking ahead to this year, um, product strategy. You spoke about internationalization, but what about domestically? Um, is it a year of, of continuing uh, development for products you have in the market? Are there new products that you're interested in launching? Uh, many new products that we're interested in launching. This, the history of Anchorage Digital has always been client demand based. We started with custody, we added trading, we added lending, we added staking, we added governance. The sequence made sense because this is what clients were clamoring for. And right now, what we're seeing is that these corporates, these fintechs are building very innovative projects and products. And what they want is a platform that is regulated, that allows them to build what they want 
on their product lineup. And so we're trying to keep up with candidly what is a very diverse set of use cases that I could not have thought about for myself. Some of them actually materially affect the core business of some of the largest fintechs in the world, or at least optimize it in a way that is a lot more profitable to run their operations. So using stable coins as settlements um, for um, streaming payments, all of these things that can be done with crypto mm. that can't really be done in the traditional world are just coming in a very, very meaningful manner for these businesses' bottom line and just innovation. And so those are things for which we constantly are going to be looking for productizing. If a client comes to us and said, hey, I want to do streaming payments for A, B, or C, then we look at streaming payments as something that we add to the product line. If a client comes to us and says, hey, I actually want you to custody my securities, which again, we can do custody of securities. We do have a bank's charter because I'm in in, in an alternative trading system, an ATS, and I really want to trade these securities. Um, after registering with the SEC, of course, and after being approved, then we can do that use case and let's build a platform for that use case. And that's something that we've already done and and so on and so forth. So it's client demand driven. And then we jump into the opportunity and we productize it for others to actually be able to offer it. And if it's in NFTs, if it's in security tokens, if it is in DeFi, this year is going to be a lot of those uh, vertically integrated uh, sets of solutions that we did bespoke once for one or two institutions in our are coming to market as products. Sounds like it's going to be an interesting year. Thank you for joining us on the Tearsheet Podcast, Diogo. Thank you for having me. Stay ahead of the game with Outlier, Tearsheet's exclusive members-only content program, and join the leading financial services and fintech innovators reading us every day. Get in-depth exclusive briefings on banking, lending, payments, embedded finance, marketing, green finance, and bank chain. The intersection of crypto and banking, delivered daily to your inbox. Head on over to the Tearsheet website to sign up today.